Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. We are so excited to welcome today's guest, Andrea Moth Schumacher, to the show. She's an interior designer based out of Denver in Santa Barbara. Her design experience ranges from both commercial to residential spaces and even set design for television at Days of Our Lives and Columbia Pictures. Her design style is heavily influenced by travel and emotion, which is laced through her debut book, Vibrant Interiors, Living Large at Home, published by Gibbs Smith, which we're going to talk about today. Andrea was named a House Beautiful Next Wave designer, and her work has been featured in Architectural Digest, Veranda, House Beautiful, and more. And today, Andrea is going to walk us through injecting personality into our interiors and telling story with design. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? You talk so much about storytelling mm-hmm. in your book, Vibrant Interiors. And so I, it seems kind of interesting that you started with sets, working yeah. for a set designer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to yeah. know because, your um, whole background because you have such a cool, I feel like, background like a, growing up and everything I think it's important wow. to your story so yeah give people really quick of like growing up because I feel like that's a cool story for us sure I mean so much my, my father actually was a virologist which everyone knows what that is now thanks to COVID but before you know that put it on the map but he we lived all over the world because he was taken he worked for Center for Disease Control so wherever there was outbreaks we would go so we lived in for example we lived in Nigeria in the 70s, there was an outbreak sort of like Ebola. And so anyway, our travels, I think, influenced my interiors. Just seeing the world as a kid definitely influenced. And I love to bring a travel vibe into everyone's home. I always ask the question, like, where were you married? If it was like Bali or whatever, I'll try to infuse that into the home. So I try to bring in sort of people's travels in their in their home so that it's still, it, again, it tells a story. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so as a kid, I was, I grew up all over the place. I landed in Colorado. I went to a different high school every year, all three years, which, you know, makes you make friends pretty quickly. The funnier part is after high school, I didn't want to go to college. I was working at Subway and I loved hanging out with my friends at Subway sandwiches. I was a sandwich artist. Um, <laughs> yep. I was a sandwich artist. And so I was, I called my dad, who's a Harvard medical school, Sigma cum laude graduate and said, I'm not going to college. And he was like, okay. And so he let me work at Subway and about six months in, I called him up and I said, I think I want to go to college. (laughs) So anyway, long story short, I came to California and, and went to college for actually started out in fashion and then switched to interior design, um, loved it and stuck with that. And it just like, from there, got my first job at days of our lives, like I said, and and then at Sony Pictures, and that's and then went back to Colorado to get my bachelor's. Then I traveled for three and a half years and didn't work. And then when that was, when I was done with that, I went to get my master's in architecture. And it was a three and a half year program, and I did about a year and a half uh, towards my master's in architecture, which really does help me now today. And uh, it was it was the dot com heyday, and the architect asked me to um, help him with a project, so I took a semester off. And then I just got another client and another client and didn't really mean to have my own business. It just kind of mm-hmm. happened. So I never went back to get my master's, but I, 
I'm glad I did some of it because it does help today with just understanding floor plans and space planning. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then your grandmother was an artist or is? She was an artist. My dad's mom, they came from Vienna and they lived in Hewlett, New York, and then in Princeton, New Jersey. And I would spend my summers in her art studio and we would draw and we would press flowers in this machine she had and like, you know, do watercolors and painting. And so she definitely influenced me. Mm -hmm. She was, she went to the Academy of Fine Arts in Vienna and studied with Leger and Dolly and Brock in Paris. So I have like 50 years of her work in boxes. And I've been, I don't know if I told you that lately I've been scanning her work and patterning them and turning it into wall covering and textiles. Oh, that's so amazing. Fun. So it's been a labor cool. of love and it's, but it's been, it's gorgeous because cool. it's like woodblock stuff and like, it looks really mm. old and European, even though it's, you know, newly freshly done. Well, I did want to start with storytelling because as I mentioned, it's a, one of the main themes of your book. You emphasize storytelling and personalization. And I wonder if you could kind of just describe to our listeners, what do you mean by storytelling in an interior? I feel like, you know, it's, I mean, it can start even with the exterior. Did you, do you know anybody that names their cars? Like, oh yeah. Or whatever. (laughs) Or how about like people name their homes? You know, this house is Piney Brook and that house. How about, so start with naming your home, whatever that means to you. You can start with the outside. And then what, um, I mean, to, for the interior, I just, I don't love, I, I don't love a home that's so pulled together that it looks like you just walked into a showroom, like at Restoration Hardware and everything's the same. Like it, I, I love when you extract from the client their story, like how did they get married how, or how, you know, where I want to see all the stuff that they already have and inventory what they love and then find a way to use all of that in their home and not so let's a lot of designers I think want to come in and just wipe the slate clean and start all over and it, it all lo- matches and looks good but it like it looks like a model home I like it to look sort of collected over time and that it was it was an organic process where they you know that they landed on even though maybe all of it was done at the same time um, it's thoughtfully curated so that it um tells their story. Where were they married? They, you know, like I said, if they were married in Bali, let's put something Balinese in the home so that when you're sitting there having a conversation with your friends, they can say, where'd you get that archway that goes into your dining room? And, you know, so we could, you know, you find an archway from Bali and have it, have your contractor build around it. And that becomes an archway between two rooms. And then it's a conversation starter too. So things like that, or, you know, it can be something from a little thing like a vase, or it can be like a large piece, or it can be something built into your home. Yeah. So I think that's important. And then, so Mm -hmm. I love a clean lined upholstered look, you know, with modern pieces, but then the case goods and the found objects are are from, tell a story and also start Mm -hmm. a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other, the other kind of thing, you know, and dovetailing off storytelling was conversation starters. Yeah. You have a whole section in the book where you talk about that. Why are you so focused on, on conversation starters, both the <laughs> space, you know, the arrangement itself and that sort of concept of an item that sparks the conversation? Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's always a lull in conversation, right? And so I don't know. I just think, I mean, I started with a seating area in my home a long time ago where, well, I, I kind of just took note that when you have people over, have you ever had that, the seating arrangement where it's two sofas facing each other mm-hmm. and a coffee table in between, and then you have five or six people over and no one wants the center seat mm-hmm. on the sofas. Everyone takes the corner, 
So you've got Always. the four corners and then you're the fifth wheel. You come in, you have to sit in the middle. I hate that. Mm-hmm. I hate that so much. I, I, so I love I, in my home, and I do this a lot in other people's homes, where we'll have four lounge, really comfortable lounge chairs in a circle around a table that's tea height, um, which mm-hmm. is not coffee table height and it's not dining room height. It's in the middle. It's about 24 inches high. So you could eat at it. Your, your knees can fit underneath it, but it's more like a game table height, if you will. And sometimes, like at my house, I have small bean bags that are really, really comfortable in a closet so I can pull those around the four. So eight people can sit around. Um, everyone gets their own chair. Mm-hmm. No one has to sit in the middle. And, you know, everyone wants their own space. And then, you know, to layer that, to have pieces around the room that are like, oh, where did you get that? Or maybe it's almost so oddly hilarious or out of place that it starts a conversation because it's almost silly. Or, you know, traveled objects where you're like, where did you find that really unique piece? I love that idea because it really emphasizes, you know, we talk about entertaining, but it just, it really like prioritizes relationships. And you even mentioned in the book, like, haven't you ever had one of those really great, like soul touching relationships with a friend? And if you kind of think back to those moments, a lot of times you're like really comfy, lounging around, you feel comfortable enough to really connect with someone. And so I loved that visual that you painted in the book that's sort of side by side with these four chair circles. Yeah. And I mean, even like, you know, at my house, I have a place where I keep blankets for every chair too. So if you want to grab a blanket, so super cozy. I always put the, you know, a lot of designs, we put the bar center stage. So it's not hidden that it's more of a feature. So it's almost like secondary to the kitchen because everyone goes straight to the kitchen when you have a party. Right. Mm -hmm. So a secondary place where people can gather And then a lot of times that gathering seating area is right next to the kitchen. So instead Mm -hmm. of necessarily a breakfast nook, you could do that kind of loungy area where you actually can eat there too. I love that idea of like just really welcoming people in and making them as comfortable as possible. And then like really letting them into your personal items and your your personal things that that mean something to you. I also want to come over and hang out in all of the blankets. That's that's, like giving everybody their own blanket is so charming. Mm -hmm. Until you get stuck with the ugly blanket. No. Yeah. I have one wool one. And if I don't like you, you get the itchy one. See, I knew it. (laughs) Oh, here's the wool one. Here's the wool one for you. (laughs) Well, I just love that so many of your spaces in this book feel so cozy and how do we kind of do that how are you what's your recipe for making it warm and cozy I think it's just layering right start with the bases and you just keep layering items on top of each other and I love pattern play and I love maximalism and another thing I wanted to tell you or touch on is I feel like another space that people are reconsidering is the formal dining room I just feel like that needs to go away. It needs to be like, we've been doing like sort of a dual purpose room with dining rooms and like layer lining the dining room with bookshelves. So it feels like a study and the table looks more like it, like it could be a, it's a dining room table, but you put really comfortable chairs around it and use it like a study most of the time. And then Mm -hmm. on your two days a year that you want to have Thanksgiving and Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, you can use it for that. But 
for the most part, it's used for playing games or cozying up. And I mean, the most recent one we did had a fireplace and we lined the whole thing with books and bookshelves Mm. and a window seat and then had really comfortable leather chairs around this beautiful table. And the lighting obviously is important. And even like we had an art TV over the fireplace that you can't tell that it's a television, but you could throw on a game and while you're playing chess or whatever and cozy up in there rather than just letting it sit there and never being used. Mm-hmm. Let me ask a question for those types of homes where you have sort of a multi-purpose dining room. Do you have a breakfast room? Where are like the daily meals eaten? I think it depends on the, you know, the obviously that depends on the size of the house and, you know, what you're working with. Sometimes we're doing, you know, 20,000 square foot homes and there's plenty of room to have all of those rooms. And then sometimes mm-hmm. we're doing smaller houses where you need the combination rooms for because you need them to be that. So I think it depends. But if you have even in a larger home, if you have a breakfast nook, I still think it should be cozy. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, plastic chairs around a, you know, marble table is cold to me. Like, how do you warm that up? What materials do you use to make that feel more loungy and less yeah. proper? Well, I guess I was just wondering, like, do they have a big island and that's where they eat their meals? Or like, what what is what was the, the daily? But I guess the, the breakfast. Yeah, I mean, I, and also, sense. I mean, I think it's, have you noticed it's been going away the the dual height islands on kitchens. Nobody likes that Mm. anymore because you just feel so disconnected from the chef. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I I mean, definitely if you have a big island, you can fit a bunch of people around and your, and the bar stools are counter height and you can cozy up in them and they're not hard and stiff and they, maybe they swivel and maybe they're, you know, a little bit extra large and, you know, and you want to put a blanket on you and cut, you know, sit up there and have coffee and sit there for a long time. Yeah. I, I, I'm all into that too. Yeah, there was one breakfast room in your book that I really loved. And I'm going to try to describe it for people. But, you know, it was kind of that classic nook space where it's sort of built into a corner with some windows. But the banquette, I guess you would call it, kind of looked like a sectional. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was a sectional. You know, it's kind of hard to tell in a photo whether it's like actually table height or if it's a little lower or what but yeah it looked like a sectional built into this corner i think it even had a chaise off yep. one of the ends yep. where it you know wasn't i know the room you're talking didn't about have a yeah. back yeah. yeah and um it did just look so comfortable like yeah you could read a book but you could also do your homework or have a zoom call or you know exactly. have your coffee yeah. that's whatever. exactly what it was designed to be it was it is the true breakfast nook of their home opposite that which you don't think you can see in the photo is a big tv they didn't want a tv in their family room so they had a big tv right there so you i mean it was like triple purpose room that so we designed the banquet it was custom and the seating was a little bit more firm than a typical sectional so you could sit up put a pillow behind your back and sit up and have breakfast or you could take the pillow out from behind your back and scoot way back and curl up and have a still have a coffee on the table and watch Mm -hmm. you know the morning news or whatever as well as the cushions again you could sit up firmly to the table and the kids do their homework there I mean it's the most used space in the house and we used indoor outdoor fabric so even though it's a light fabric it was you can spill on it and it beads up and thoroughly thought through to be a triple purpose room really yeah what was the was the height a standard table height uh yeah it was but we just made this sectional just a tad higher so that you sit up normally Mm -hmm. but yeah it was it was a standard height that's so smart and it's like what we all want (laughs) i know right nobody wants to just i am not i do a wooden chair to a you know a marble table for a breakfast nook is just uh 
I don't even want to sit there. You know? Well, I, I feel like it sort of is echoing, you know, if you're the booth person. I feel like everyone is either a booth person or they're the mm. chair person if you go to a restaurant. <laughs> I'm a booth person. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to sit in a booth. But that, to me, is the appeal because it is extra cushy. You know, there's a lot of times like a corner that kind of, you know, I'm trying to make a, a hand motion, but it sort of like wraps you yeah. up, you know, it's and it's sort of, yeah. And that um, depends on the banquet, right? Some restaurants, they don't do it right. Like they make it a little too high and then you're like higher than everybody mm. else that are sitting in the chairs or they make it a little too or low too and you feel low. like you're like Alice in Wonderland at this table. Mm-hmm. It's like, you got to get the height just right. Right. Yeah. Um, for yeah. sure. So, yeah. Or if it's a deep U and it's too many people, then I don't want to be in the booth. I'm like, right. mm, don't trap me oh, seven gosh. deep in. And I know. There's a lot you, of thought behind doing it right. There's a lot of Lord thought help you if you need to go to the bathroom and you're in the very middle. <laughs> excuse me. Of the, excuse me. You know, <laughs> the whole crawling under the table. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I do just love the idea of taking a space that maybe you go to and, you know, it's sort of the, the same as as your vac- vacation comment earlier. But, you know, if you're always the booth person at the restaurant, why would you not put one in your home? Right. And then have chairs around the other sides. Recreate the whole situation in your home and to your liking. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pay attention to where you're comfortable and and do that. Yeah. In your space. And on, I mean, yeah. even to layer that or take that further, a lot of times we talk about or look at our clients' complexions and like, how, how are they going to look in a space? Do they need rosy colors? Do they need, do we need to accentuate their green eyes? Mm-hmm. Do we, you have beautiful red hair? Do you like, what, what colors do you look good? And let's bring purples in. So we definitely look at our like clients, not only their physicality, but also their life story and try to do a combination of both for them. Even sometimes mm-hmm. they don't even know. Like we don't even necessarily talk about that. We just do it for them and they don't even know that we're like thinking about these little things that are going to make them feel amazing in their own home. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I feel like there's so many things through life where you feel wonderful in something or somewhere, but you can't really, you've never really articulated why that is, mm-hmm. but it's nice that you're thinking about that for them. Well, you touched on something that's so, I think became so important in the pandemic where all these people that just went to work every day and didn't really think about their white walls and their sterile home, it became very illuminated that how you, that the emotion your home evokes is so, the, just the mentality that you, or just how you feel in your home is so important. And I think a lot of people just didn't even understand that. And then there was a lot of investment that happened into that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's been interesting to see. And I, I still don't know if people really understand the complete emotional impact that interiors have on your human being, but it's true. And it does. And I, I, mean, I used to also think like a long time ago, I used to think how shallow interior designers were just, Oh, do I have this shallow? Do I just care about pretty things? And, but it's, I think it's now I've embraced it. It's so much more than that. You really are affecting mm-hmm. people's mental health and that's really important these days. Right. So, yeah, well, and it's, of course we want it to be attractive, but I feel like the, many of the a lot of the magic that designers bring to a space really centers around function and making the house functional. And that makes your day run better. And then if your day runs better, then your life is better. And, you know, you live your life in like individual days. So you really want those, you know, routines, the mudroom or the laundry room. Right. You know, that's where you're spending your time. You want it to be Right, that's true. Comfortable right. and work well. Right. You know? If I gotta be in there, I need if to I gotta be, be in the best. laundry room all day, 
Yeah. You might as well have wallpaper in there. (laughs) Exactly. I really, a hundred percent. That is an area too. You would think like part of you could be like, it's not important. It's just a utility room. And then when you spend multiple days in there, you're like, hold up. I should feel better about being in here because I have to be. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, you actually had in your book a section about your home and that you've or you told you told the story of you going up to this lady's house. Mm. And I just wanted you to tell it because I thought it was so I loved that little section of the book. Yeah, I was I was at a friend's house across the street from the home and I, we were sitting in her backyard. and I'm like, that house is so beautiful. It's set up on a hill and it sort of reminded me of. Los Angeles, where, you know, I went to college, um, it reminded me of Mulholland Drive, sort of like the mid-century modern Mulholland Drive type home. And I was like, I love that. And, she, and my friend was like, we should go see who lives there. So we walk over there and knock on the door. And this cute woman op- answers the door and we chat with her and tell her her home is so beautiful. And she invites us in and ha- gives us a tour. And then we have tea with her. And we sat there for an hour and a half and just chatted with her about her life. She was <laughs> She was Miss Colorado. She was gorgeous. She was Miss Colorado. She had all these great stories. And anyway, we left and I I told her, I love you. If you ever want to sell, I want it. And I lived down the street. Uh And then I followed up with a little note in her mailbox saying, I'm serious. Like, if you ever want to sell it, here's my number. And (laughs) then six months went by and I, you know, nothing. And I wrote her another letter and put it in her mailbox saying, I'm not kidding. Like, I really, really want it if you ever want to sell (laughs) And then another year went by, I guess, and her daughter called and said, because she, she had a home in Phoenix, too. She said, she's mm. moving to Phoenix full time. And she, she said, you might want to buy it. And I'm like, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> so I, we had to sell two homes in order to get enough, scrape up enough to down payment. And it all like it was like the universe aligned because everything uh. sold just in time in order to close just in time. But she was so cute. She had this big estate sale before she left. And she asked me to come over before the day before the state state sale and just mark what I wanted. So I had first dibs on what I wanted. So there was a lot of pieces that just made sense for the home, like the dining room table is perfectly made just for that space. And so I marked all this stuff and I figured I was going to get this big bill, which I was fine with, you know, like I wanted all these pieces. And then she just gave it to me for free. Oh my gosh. I know. Oh, that's, that's so, really sweet. so sweet. sweet. And the house yeah. is gorgeous too. Um, yeah. So is that and, dining room table. That dining room aw, table is pretty epic. It was hers, yeah. So I love that piece, yeah. It has this in incredible lucite 70s. face. Yeah. yeah. So that's a story, right? You can go through that and there's a story, right? So and being able to tell that to people and when people ask, it's fun to kind of talk about how things came together. Well, and you've kept the house, to, like you've kept the house as close to what it was as well. And you've really... Right decorated to that style but it doesn't feel right like it like it was right the only big change I made was she had white carpet throughout the entire uh, first floor I mean I'm talking wall to wall in the bathrooms in the kitchen and I was like I'm, I, when we first moved in I'm like I'm leaving it because I can't afford to like do everything right now so I had some other things I needed to get done so I'm like I'm gonna leave it for now and then I think it was like three days in, my kids were making a blueberry smoothie in the kitchen and spilled the entire blueberry thing all over the white carpet. And I was like, oh, oh. okay, that's the first thing to go. Wood floors it is. So we, <laughs> that was one of the first projects. So, Yeah. So tell us about how like the, the style of the home, what sort of things did you do in the house, you know, decor wise that mm-hmm. were really driven by the style of the home? So the home was 
built actually in 1959 originally, but then she did a huge remodel in the 90s and expanded and added on. And uh, so she changed all the corners to round. And I left that. I kind of embraced some of the stuff that would normally people would feel like it was dated. But one thing that does drive me crazy is certain drywall textures I can't stand. And grass cloth can, I think grass cloth can go in any genre of a home, but I covered every single inch of the the house in grass cloth. So, and it's nice because if you get a thicker one, you don't have to skim and sand. You know, some people will say, mm-hmm. sand and skim and then their house is full of that fine dust and it's a pain in the butt. And the only way to do it is to do it before you move in because otherwise it's stuck in everything you own. So, but that's the nice thing about a thicker grass cloth is you can just kind of throw it over this, some of the uglier drywall that you don't ah. like and it changes the entire look. So we did that. Is it all one color? Is it multiple colors? Yeah, I did just one. Throughout this home, I did all just one color and I did the ceiling too. So every t- every surface is grass cloth. And then and obviously hanging art on top of it makes the layer. And some people don't like that t- the seams of the grass cloth look. I love that look. So if you mm-hmm. do grass cloth, you have to be on board yeah. for the seams are the beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's like some people are like, why, aren't the, why isn't the grass lining up on the wallpaper? I'm like, because it's supposed to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it almost lends like a geometric quality to the right it's the, the wall, beauty of it for sure yeah yeah, yeah. i just love okay. that you it's like you dipped your house in the grass cloth in those rooms like yeah. you just were like <laughs> oh yeah it's awesome so wallpapering the ceilings you had some i think there were some ceilings that were at an angle or things going on at angles do you recommend doing wallpaper grass cloth I feel like kind of is a little bit more forgiving enough, yeah right yeah I think and obviously it depends on the angles and how they line up to something else you know when to, on what you use but you know if you have a flat ceiling and you have some sort of d- division between wall and ceiling or you can always add that I love to do two different wall coverings so maybe the walls are one pattern and then maybe the ceiling is something else and you know typically on a ceiling you would do something with no direction not necessarily, but, you know, more of a graphic pattern is better so that, you know, you're not dealing with like a vine going off. It's supposed to be going up when it's like going off to the side kind of thing. So graphic patterns are, are typically what we use for ceilings. I'm not saying always, but but I do like to mix patterns on ceilings and walls and having them be two different patterns. How do you choose a pattern for a ceiling that's going to contrast with what you've got going on on the walls? I mean, you start, depending on how you start your whole concept, right? Um, sometimes we will take, sometimes we'll take a vase, like somebody's grandmother's vase, let's just say. And it might have, it might be a chinoiserie and that might have 15 colors. From that vase, we might start the impetus of the entire design of the home. So maybe those 15 colors will guide us to pick a backsplash color and a wall covering. But I think it's also important to pat when you're doing pattern play is to mix up large and small prints so that it's not if you have everything large print it looks weird if you have everything small print it can look weird so I think it's important to mix and match you know the size of the print I I just your house alone I think was my favorite (laughs) it's probably because and it's probably to your point like you were saying too it's just it's layered and it doesn't feel like you could have done it in one pass and just the blue kind of secondary kitchen you did is like so pretty and yeah, unexpected. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that room originally was the laundry room. 
So you walked in from the garage and that room was to the right and it was the laundry room. And then beyond that was the kitchen. But I can't stand kitchens with all the appliances out on them. It drives me bananas. Um, And I love a sort of a secondary kitchen where you can have all your toasters and your blenders out, but you don't have to see it. So I, I moved the laundry room down to the basement and then I did a smaller one in the master closet and took that over for sort of the back kitchen, if you will. I mean, it used to be called the butler's kitchen. It's not really, for me, it's more just a functionality kitchen. Like it's like where I go to make my coffee. It's where I go to get, I have a hot water spigot. I make tea there. I make the toast in there. I put the microwave in there so you don't have to look at a microwave. In there, I have the wine fridge. I have a beverage center. I have another sink. I have the dog food that's in a bin, um, cleaning supplies under there, you know, just everything that's sort of utilitarian. And then I did an- But it's not utilitarian looking at all. Well, like, I, yeah, I made it look like furniture, right? I want to, I, and mm-hmm. I do that a lot in kitchens too. I made it totally look like furniture. So that armoire, what it looks like an armoire on the left side is a door that looks like there's drawers below, but it's actually just a door. And inside there is like brooms and mops and buckets and that kind of thing on the left side. On the right side, on the top part, um, is you open it up and it's food pantry. And then the bottom three drawers are actual function, functioning drawers. But together, the whole thing looks like an armoire with, you know, that has six drawers below and two doors above, even though they're totally different on each side. And then some really cool hardware. like And it's bright blue. It's all about the hardware, right? If you took the hardware off, it would be sort of just flat panels. There's no, it's just flat panels. So it was literally all about the hardware. And that was one, it's sort of more inexpensive to do it that way. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. every time you add a layer of, when you're doing custom, if you add, you know. Beading and. Yeah, beading, all that, you're adding cost. So if you Mm -hmm. just find really cool hardware, then you can kind of offset the cost of the actual flat door. Mm -hmm. Well, and you have a, a gorgeous sort of mural wallpaper in the kitchen. Is there any, I mean, I know, you know, as you've said, like the. The blue kitchen, the the butler's pantry kitchen is really where you're doing like a lot of the more utilitarian stuff. But what is the, what is the maintenance on that wallpaper look like? Is it, is there some sort of, is it vinyl or something like how to... You're going to have to hire me to find out. No, I'm just kidding. No, you can, um, there's there's a company called Pro Coat. You can send any wall covering into them and they will coat it. You can splatter spaghetti Mm. on that and wipe it down. You can put silk wallpaper up in your kitchen. So I've done hand-painted silk chinoiserie wall covering coated with this company. And you can literally splatter grease on it and just wipe it down with a cloth. And it's hardy and and you can't tell. So you can do a mat so it doesn't look shiny. So you can't tell that it's been coated. I love putting wallpaper in a kitchen. It's so unexpected too. People are like, what Mm -hmm. are you doing? Oh my gosh. But because, you know, the typical tile is the way to go. But actually tile is almost worse than wallpaper because you have the grout. It's harder to maintain than wall covering. Mm -hmm. Wall covering is just one surface. You wipe it down. You don't have to get inside the grout and scrub. Yeah. So it's actually smarter to do than yeah. tile yeah i've i've always hated tile i don't know why like well i say backsplash <laughs> yeah not as in general but but yeah because like it gets stuck in the in the crowd and then it just right. it always looks so busy to me so i've always really liked the um kind of what you did behind your oven yeah just the just marble the slab and i love but that too. that gets pricey so it's pricey but not only that but like have you ever seen where people book match it and it looks really weird Mm-hmm. that's a no I don't like that look like I don't I mean I do love mm-hmm. a beautiful marble fireplace just you know Florida ceiling marble fireplace but when you start to book match 
marbles, it can look a little weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just use the word weird. Well, the kitchen is, is really beautiful. Should we talk a little bit about your textile and wall coverings project sure. that you're working on? Yeah. So I, we were talking about my grandmother. She, her name was Elizabeth Monith, which is why I like to keep Monith in my last name. So I'm still tied to her. She went to the Fine Arts Academy in Vienna and she went there and then she studied in Paris with Leger and Dolly. Um, her, her first works that one of my favorite pieces of hers that I have was done in 1938. It's in my living. I think it's in the book. It's in my living room and it's very surrealist. It's like you can see all kinds of stuff, wizards and a woman driving a car. And if you look closely in the water, you can see a man and the woman with like a, the, a baby in the woman's um, belly. And just all, it just is very, the more you look at it, I can, even now I can look at it and find things I didn't see before. So that's one of my favorite pieces. But I have her work spanning from 1938 to 1986 when she passed. So a lot of different genres of art, you know, different times in her life. Like she came to visit us in Africa. And so she has this whole series of, of woodblock African prints. And so I, how it all started was I bought a building in Denver for our, for our showroom and our offices. And when I was remodeling the main floor, I took a piece of hers that I have that's very abstract. And I had this Denver artist use it as inspiration for the wall walls to, but she did it, you know, hand painted got me everyone always asking is that wallpaper is that wallpaper and I'm like no it's hand painted and I started thinking but it should be wallpaper so I tried to take that actual piece of art and pattern it and it was much more difficult it's hard to take static art and get a pattern out of it so I started taking other pieces I actually did some research and there's two companies in the entire United States that can scan large format art so big large pieces there's one in Denver and there's one in Massachusetts so I Ooh. went and took a piece to the, isn't that weird? I went to this guy and I said, here's a piece of art. Can you scan it? He did. And then, you know, in, and then in Photoshop, we were trying to make some patterns out of it and some pattern really well and some were a lot harder. So then I was like, okay, I was personally trying to get this done myself while, you know, myself and my staff were all trying to crank out projects too. And I finally was like, all right, I'm going to hire a brand manager to just handle this because it's too, a lot of work. So I found this great girl and she's helped me do so far we have this collection we have seven patterns five colorways each it just launched the website just launched it's now for sale she was able to kick it off right when the book came out so literally the website I think went up two days ago and it's for sale now and we've been using it in projects though for over a year so I have in the book there's some of the wall covering um featured there and we're starting to get a lot more collateral and how I do, you know, how I actually present it to clients is we'll put it in a concept to clients and not tell them that it's my grandmother's work. Cause I don't want them to feel like they're choosing it because I told them that I want them to like it if they like it and if they don't like it, then it, they don't like it. It doesn't matter to me. I just, you know, if it works, it works. So we've been doing that. And if it, you know, if they love it, then afterwards we'll tell them <laughs> so they don't feel obligated to, you know, buy it or use it. And so that was, yeah, so we've been doing, working on that. And now my next, I, you know, I'm going to, I was telling you earlier, I'm now looking into doing some lighting. I feel like I see some holes in the system and I would like to expound on that. So I'm working on that. And so I think licensing and branding my own ideas is kind of my next venture, you know, while obviously doing, you know, interior design clients as well. 
<laughs> Can you tell everyone what the name of your African wall covering collection yeah. is? This is fun. It's it's sort of a rub to me that my last name is Schumacher because I feel like everyone thinks it's F Schumacher mm-hmm. and I'm not. And um, I and I'm sure it drives them crazy too. I I I, I just I didn't mean to. Um, but my, <laughs> so my grandmother's I, I know my grandmother's last name was Monith, and so that's my and when I got married I made that my middle name, and her first name was Elizabeth, and in Vienna, Elizabeth typically the nickname is Liesel. That's very like uh, Austrian thing. So mm-hmm. I called it the Liesel Collection because obviously I didn't want to call it Schumacher. Um, that would be too confusing. So we <laughs> used her. <laughs> we used her um, nickname Liesel. And if you read about Elizabeth Monath, then you can kind of read about her history studying with in Paris with Leger and Dolly. And you know she was also also an author. And you know Eleanor Eleanor Roosevelt wrote about her in her um, column in the New York Times. And she just has a great, like, she has, still has a couple pieces at the British Museum. She had an impact. And I just want to bring that to life again. That's so fantastic. To, so cool. To carry on yeah, the tradition and to embrace that and her. make mm-hmm. it your own. Art seems to be a big part of all of your designs. And that seems like a really great way to infuse personality into a room or into a house. What? How are you bringing art into your clients' homes and what are you thinking about when you're doing that? Well, it depends on the client. Sometimes in the book, even like there's sometimes there's clients that have a huge collection of their own. And it's, so it's one of the first things I want to see before we even get started is what do they have? What sizes are they? What's the significance? How elegant are they or how modern are they and how we're going to infuse it into the space? So I, and I talk about this a lot as far as just how to get to the end result of the interior of a home in my opinion, you start from the end and work backwards. A lot of people will, I actually used to do this in the beginning. I would kind of think broad strokes first and then, you know, down to the last accessory and work the design process that way. Now I kind of go opposite and I'll start with the end in mind. Maybe it's it's the art or the story or the, the grandmother's vase that is the impetus to the design or whatever it is. I start with the small things and move to the larger strokes. Um, and I think you get a better result that way. And it's also, it seems to me to be a faster way um, to accomplish the design, the design process. So as far as art, back to the art thing, yeah, I want to see what people have. And if they have nothing at all, it's a whole nother conversation. Like it's, you know, it's kind of like, you, t- do you have any art? If the answer is yes, you go down the chart flow chart of like, can I see it? And what pieces do you have? And does it need to be reframed? And how are we going to use it in the space? And then if the answer is no, I have nothing. That's a whole nother conversation of like, well, how do we get to what you like? Do you want to start to collect? Do you want, I mean, I don't, I don't love just throwing in a bunch of art with no purpose and no reason and no meaning. I would rather see a blank wall sit there for five years while you're out finding the piece that speaks to you than to throw something up there just because you need something on the wall. Well, I think it's time for our decorating dilemma. Okay, this one is from Krista, and she writes and says, Hello, ladies. I'm a relatively new listener out in California. I just love your podcast. It's been so much fun to binge listen to while I was at home with a newborn. I'm writing to you with a dining room dilemma. Several years ago, I purchased an, a salvaged wood, unfinished pine dining table. While I love the wood tone and the clean lines of the table, the raw natural wood is just not working for our current phase of life my family is in with three young girls. 
What kind of table should I get that's durable, unfussy, and kid-friendly? What shape table should I get? Thoughts on a banquette? Your advice on the table or anything else is much appreciated. I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks in advance, Krista. Um, and she's got a very kind of rectangular little nook is all open concept to her living room. So there's not much space for, you know, a bigger table. I mean, that corner where that tree is or that little, yeah, the tree, that whole corner, I would put a banquette in there, like a, you know, L-shaped banquette. As far as the table goes, I would probably find one without the four legs with a mm -hmm. center base pedestal, um, yeah. because it's easy to get in and out of a banquette when you have a center base table. At the same time, I hate to throw anything away. Like if she could use that table again, I would want her to be able to use what she has just because I, I don't know. I just, that's just how I think. Um, the chairs are fine. I think you could, if you had a banquette, you could use the chairs on the, you know, outside of the, of the, um, eating area the table might be too small if you do a banquette so maybe you could repurpose it maybe it goes into an office as a desk or something but if you were to try to use that uh, you well, know it, it would like be she really doesn't want to keep the table. yeah i know uh, you could you know else you could do with that table i don't know what she has as a coffee table there but it looks small is it glass you could cut those legs down it could be a, like a tea height table in the mm -hmm. living room, a little bit higher than a coffee table where you can, you know, belly up to that. That could be really cool. Stack books on it, have it be a really big coffee table. That could be fun. Again, the t so the light fixture, if you were to do a banquette, you'd need to swag it. I don't know if that's, a, it looks like it's a heart. Oh yeah, it has a chain. So you could add chain to it and swag it over. So it, it was a, a, actually over the dining room table because you'll want to, you know, push it over in the corner more if you made a banquette. And then, you know, as far as, Zinc tops are good for kids. They make, and you could also do an oval, which is nice with kids, you know, bonk on the corner. Mm -hmm. but those are, yeah, those are things I would do. I would definitely. And then I would almost, I mean, the window coverings to me seem sparse. Um, I would warm it up with drapery. If that was a banquette, maybe you would do a right side stack on the smaller window and the left side stack on the other. Or maybe if you're, if those are operable blinds, maybe do a mock valance over them that make mm, the window look mm -hmm. a little bit wider to cut because it looks a little small it almost looks also like that ceiling is it one or does it yeah it is one it just slopes right up yeah those are the and i mm -hmm. maybe yeah i think and that yeah that glass table in the living room is too small and looks weird i would move i would take the dining room table and cut the legs down and make it a coffee table or a tea height table <laughs> I love I that. If she's, I yeah, totally if she's would. loved the table this long, but it just isn't functioning I mean, as a dining table. Yeah, yeah. look at that. Mm -hmm. Look right now That's at the, way. let's see, the last, the fifth photo. You can see how tiny that table is between, you can't even reach it from the sofa. If you're yeah. sitting in the sofa or the, one of those chairs, you can't even reach it. So I would, I would put it there. I would saw off those legs. <laughs> so a zinc or some other kind of like stone top for the table is what I, you're thinking? I mean, you could do stone, although I mean, stone. It sometimes is so cold when you mm -hmm. put your when you put your elbow. It depends on what climate you live in. But when you I, lately, I've been doing in countertops in um, depend like in Colorado. Is do you know the rolled out heat pads you can buy for your floors for bathrooms? They're like three hundred dollars at Home Depot. Mm -hmm. You can put them in the countertop. 
Oh, wow. So in the winter, they warm up. So you can, when you put your elbows on, you're not freezing. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That is honestly something I've never considered. I think maybe because we live in Atlanta. Yeah, you so don't, we don't, don't worry about that. We don't really get <laughs> snow. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, if you're in Denver and like there's snow it's, on the ground. And you put your elbows on a freezing cold, you know, yeah. marble. Yeah. yeah. That has never occurred to me yeah. before. But because I was going to say, I have a quartz top dining table and I do love it. But she is in California. So, yeah. Oh, she is. Okay. So she doesn't have to worry about that. So maybe yeah, she's a man, not worried a man about made it, but... stone 100%. And yet, I mean, if she really wants to keep that table and doesn't want to deal with the banquet and all that, she could probably just cap it with a man-made stone, right? But oh, I do think yes, it does look smart. a little small for the room. I would make that the coffee table. Mm-hmm. Cut those legs down. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of a banquet too. And are you thinking like one long bench or are you thinking a corner? I think a whole corner take up that whole room. room so it, mm-hmm. it's cozy mm-hmm. and comfortable but then yeah. use the chairs that she has around the outside so you have a choice between chair and banquette depending on yeah. how you're using the space at the time because she has leather chairs and so i'm sure those are yeah. very easy to wipe down right um mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on a rug underneath a space like this does she need one does she not need one it depends on what she does with the bank at i mean if it's soft and cozy with tons of pillows and yummy and she has young kids maybe it's better to not or you could throw in like an indoor outdoor rug that you can pull outside and spray down and you know hang over your railing outside or dry off if it's got eggs in it but it's kind of a pain in the butt you know Mm -hmm. because i did notice that you don't have a rug under your dining table i know for that reason Mm -hmm. i currently don't either because of that reason i like i have a three-year-old like her dinner right. is half on the floor by the end of the night. Exactly. So, but and if it's not easy to move on and off. Question, yeah. Right. Right. You don't want to be you don't want to be moving that all the time. But you have I to have, layer it in other questions. ways. Yeah. Yeah. We've gotten questions from people before, like, is it going to look unfinished? And just since we're kind of on this topic anyway, what are some things that you can do to make sure it doesn't look unfinished and you've kind of got enough yeah. of a look with your other elements without a rug? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes we'll throw sheepskin. I mean, this is Denver, not, you know, sometimes we'll throw sheepskins over all the dining room chairs just to give it another layer of warmth, mm-hmm. whether you sit on them or not, but, you know, just for the daily look. Or, you know, you can do a rug. Don't get me wrong. As long as it's it's forgiving, mm-hmm. it, maybe it's just darker and easily cleanable, easily, vac- you know, short piles so you can easily vacuum it up. Don't, yeah, so don't get me wrong. I would not say don't put a rug in a dining room. I would say do put a rug in a dining room. Just choose the right rug. Right. Right. Not Obviously, don't put a big, thick Moroccan under your dining room table where it's like food gets deep down under two inches of, yeah, <laughs> ew. And moving your chair <laughs> is like an epic oh, right. I'm like, yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> but it sounds like you can get away without one as long as you have, you know, enough. The right one. Yeah, then right. the, enough of, um, you know, a presence with the other pieces. Right. Okay. Well, thank you, Krista, for sending in your question. Yes, thank you, thank Andrea, you. for helping one of our listeners with their decorating dilemma. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, all of that? Oh, sure. Uh, so I'm a big Instagrammer. It's just Andrea Schumacher Interiors on Instagram. Our website's the same. Andrea Schumacher Interiors.com. My TikTok is in my daughter's hands and she hasn't done anything with that. So I can't tell you what it is. Um, but I'm working on it. And but it will yeah. be good. It will be good. <laughs> and then Liesl Collection is LieselCollection.com. It's L I E S L collection.com. And that's my 
my new baby. So go see my baby. And that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time. Happy Happy decorating. decorating!